Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Today, we have a special episode. We have a woman who has achieved the peak of the academic performances and honor. She has not forgotten where she comes from and for who to champions. In our research, she deals with the women and empowerment and the role of women for economic development in Africa. It's a very big honor and pleasure to have here Funke Michaels. Thank you, Samuel. The honor and the pleasure is all mine. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you, Funke. You have an impressive CV. You are Mason Fellow at the Harvard, in Harvard, the MIT Fellow. What is your story? How this the peak achievement and the women? Where are you coming from? What is your journey? A lot of the achievements that people call big, I'm not there yet. I still always say that um, a little Lagos girl who's walked around the world and learned as she walked. I was born in Lagos, in the beautiful city that is the commercial capital of Nigeria. And um, I'm born to a family of very high achievers. In fact, very high achieving women. So for me, I had um, amazing role models to look up to. In the years that have passed between my childhood in Lagos and today, I've been privileged to work on some of the biggest brands in the world. I've also been privileged to meet some of the most uh, vulnerable communities and people. And because of these factors, I have found a way to bridge the gap. And for me, that bridge lies in education and advocacy. It lies in helping our communities, especially the women, as catalysts of whatever it is we're trying to build in our communities. It's helping us to see, to understand the big picture, to understand our part in that big picture and to gain as much knowledge as possible so that we can build a better future. That's it in a nutshell. So I've been learning as much as I can. I'm still learning. I intend to continue to learn. There's um, still a lot of research ahead of me. And um, I derive joy from, from what I do. That is wonderful. It's a very good summary. Learning is the key. And then, you know, this yes. bridge, I, I loved this uh, metaphor of the bridge being capable of achieving the highest peak of the corporate world and the brands you worked and in the university, but not forgetting the, the vulnerable communities and then the underprivileged. This is, this is a very special attention that you have. The question now on your research, I've read some of your papers, which are very interesting, especially for the topic of sustainability. One that was also presented and published about the role of SDG. There is a lot of debate of this framework no, from the United Nations for corporate and NGO to frame, I give a frame for the broader debate of sustainability and how you have declined, especially in the African context. I wanted to know more about that. Thank you, Samuele. Um, I have to begin by saying that I am sitting in Nairobi today because of a woman. 
I had, right after my Harvard degree, structured my next steps. And I felt that um, on the advice of a friend, I should consider looking at the Nairobi ecosystem. I liked what technology was doing here. I loved what the youth were doing with technology. The years before that, I had done a lot of research on M-Pesa. And so it was interesting for me to come here. But you see, it wasn't the business meetings that I came to attend that made me decide to stay. It was the woman whose birthday it is today, incidentally. When I met my mother-in-law um, in person for the first time after many years of being married to her son, I realized that she was a strong woman. Like myself, she's holding down a lot. And I understood that she was at a point in life where continuity was important. For every business leader, you need to have someone to hand over to at a particular time. And I thought that if I were in her shoes, if I had children who could support me in that role, I would want them to be closer to me. And because of that, I called my husband in Boston and I said to him, hey, we need to come and leave at home because mom needs us and this is where we are now. It took him a month to get to me with the kids. And that is the real story about how I got to be in Nairobi. Now, my mother-in-law herself is a serial entrepreneur and through her, I've been able to learn a lot about this ecosystem here. She gives historical relevance to the things that I see today. And she helps me to have foresight for what is likely to be tomorrow. So her own hindsight adds to my foresight um, in the business that I do and in the classes that I teach. Because of that relationship, I am able to, to leverage the social structures that are already in existence. And I mean the culture of entrepreneurship, the culture of support amongst the women, the culture of peer investment. And by this, I mean the chamas, the rotational contribution that women do to support one another's businesses. That got me to looking into the mechanisms and I mean the infrastructures that support these things within our community. I find that in the grassroots, in places where the more formal um, sources of support, income, funding are not available, people have come together to offer as much help as possible to one another within their communities. I see communities like the Maasai, amongst whom there's a, a dichotomy of ownership. The man owns the cows, the woman owns the milk. And you find Maasai women are doing business with that milk without upsetting the cultural structures that say that the woman owns just the milk. So you find people producing probiotic yogurt, like what um, Julia Koekai is doing in Narok. You find women coming together as chamas, but not chamas for money, chamas for milk. So if you learn how to produce your milk properly and you do it sustainably, and it is brought to the collection point, it becomes your entry, your membership fee into that chama. It means that automatically you get a share of the profits. And so by simple innovations based on existing cultures, women are making a lot of progress. These are the things that I study. These 
special parts of the African life that we must take care to protect so we don't lose these specialties. The incursion of modernity has meant that a lot of our structures are compared to Western structures. For me, it is important for us to uphold the existing African structures and learn from them. And I will use that word again, bridge the gap between the ancient that is tried and tested and the modern that is new and innovative. That is a fascinating topic and angle, I think. And then there is not many researchers that are trying to look, really going at the grassroots. Can you explain more this part? Because I think it's fascinating, the role of women as enablers. Samuele, I, I spent some time in Bari, in Italy, on the south coast. And I sat with old women who were making pasta by hand. Some of these women told me that their grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-grandmothers made pasta like that. Each one made by loving hands that created it and then sold. And see, these women were passing on that knowledge to younger women who were also producing pasta. So, so there's an entire ecosystem of pasta producers who have done this for ages. It's the same way. Here in Africa, our women have always taught. And by that, I mean the essentially feminine part of culture that is imparted at the foot of your mother or whomever you see as a maternal figure in your life. These are the people who teach us fairness. They teach us how to share. They teach cooperation. They teach tolerance. They teach the spirit of oneness. In Africa, we call it Ubuntu. I am because you are. These are the people who teach us how to be, how to speak, how to address your elders, how to speak lovingly to children, how to coax the best out of people in any situation, how to use proverbs to express concepts that are so complex that you want to be politically correct in how you say them. These are the small, subtle nuances that we get out of our upbringing. These women also teach us business, how to trade, how to save, how to batter, how to support, the importance of social impact. These are mothers who would say to you, that house over there, I have not seen fire in that house for two days. It means they probably have not cooked. Go to Mamanjaroge and take her this for no reason except love, Ubuntu. Now these fundamental African structures have held us up for decades, centuries, aeons. They are structures that work. When outsiders look into Africa, people tend to see a collection of countries. For us, it's a collection of language groups and cultures. It's people who have the same values and who hold those values dear. Now those people subscribe to a different sort of governance. And because of that, you can express ideas and concepts like sustainability along those lines. During that speech, the keynote address that you were referring to at Fondazione ENI Enrico Mattei in Milan, 
At the end of my speaking, a young lady got up. Her name was Alexandra Soresnina. And she had been doing real life research in East Africa, talking to women in villages and teaching them how to keep the trees, how to protect the vegetation. The fauna and the flora that is so important to Africa is in the hands of these householders. Now, by teaching these women, you are teaching entire households. And so she says to us at that meeting, these things you have said here are the things we are experiencing in our work. And she had actually learned Kiswahili because it helps to contribute, to communicate to people in their own languages, for them to understand that you've subscribed to their culture and you're immersed in their situation. Now, one of the things that I put particular attention on during my MIT research was immersion immersion into communities to understand what it is really that the communities need and how they see the world. You cannot successfully communicate or teach anyone if you do not understand their worldview. And so my point of view is to show Africa's worldview in a positive light so people can understand that we all have things to learn from one another. And perhaps by learning these things that have worked for our communities, we may be able to build on them and teach sustainability in ways that our people will understand. That is fascinating. It's really an important topic and is also as reflection even for businesses and is a big lesson. I think the concept of immersion really struck me a lot because that is also where failure sometimes comes. And especially, you know, I was discussing about biases. Sometimes, especially in the world, especially I've been in Africa for the past 16 years. If you know the nationality of the NGO of the company, you can match the nationality of the manager. And it really puzzled me sometimes that people and managers, they don't immerse themselves. They really struggle to even understand the language on work. And they blame that for decreasing performances. I think the problem is what you just mentioned, the immersion and the worldview. Failure to understand the worldview, even as a manager, it can be a big issue. So thank you for that. Let me ask you, which could be the practical advice? How we can empower that? How we can put that in practice? I believe that you and I are doing that already. We are walking in the trenches. I usually say that teaching entrepreneurs in Sub-Saharan Africa is like being in a nursery. And I mean that both literally and physically. In a nursery of plants, you get to see which ones are outstanding. You get to nurture them and help them through those early stages where expert hands are needed. In the same way, in a nursery of children, you get to see the champions early. You get to see who has good insight, who has passion, who can be committed to a task, who can see a task through from the end to end. And that is the beautiful thing about where we work. It's seeing the potential that is abundant in Africa and understanding that it takes people like you and I to bring forth that potential, to build the nations that we see today into regional powers. Now, plug this rat. We need to make sure that we're speaking the same. Samuele, it is difficult to talk to someone 
about climate change when they're still worried about pocket change. It's difficult to tell somebody about sustainability when they're worried about profitability, about the next meal. In the last year or thereabouts, where we've had serious economic downturns because of the pandemic, many of the entrepreneurs within our ecosystem have had to return to the drawing board. And in the face of such realistic everyday problems, it is difficult to sell ethics and sustainability. People need to survive. So we need to, as a group, help people to survive better so that sustainability can be real to them. In communities where the basic human problems are solved, where you're not worried about your housing, you're not worried about healthcare, you're not worried about education, basic education for children, it's easier to discuss sustainability. But when we come down to the grassroots, where even good clothing, adequate shelter, uh, proper education, hygiene, healthcare are still major issues. We need to discuss sustainability in ways that show how it alleviates the problems within our community. And for me, the easiest way to do this is to use ambassadors from within those communities. The best ambassadors that I know how to use are women. Women will discuss problems with one another. Women will discuss solutions with one another. Women will share winnings with one another. Women will share case studies with one another. If it worked for Mama Njoroge, it is likely to work for Mama Kamau. It is likely to work for me. Women will share even earnings with one another. That's what we do with Chamas. We put all our money into one basket. We give that basket to one woman to build her business. When she comes back, she puts her money back in that basket and we grant it to another woman to build her business. And by so doing, we create a ripple effect within our communities. That is so important. I was discussing also this, you know, the holistic approach and also even for conservation. Conservation per se need to be explained and we have community. Sometimes community are seen as enemies rather than enablers and women as well you know, can be the real ambassador, as you said, to have this comprehensive approach, to bring the angle of how to sustain, how we regenerate, but also how we tackle your basic needs, your problem. Because as you said, if I'm worried about this evening meal, it might be difficult for me to think about a 30-year long-term uh, run. That is actually something that is overlooked and we don't have to take it for granted because the battle of sustainability, especially for the climate change and the regeneration, is fought at the grassroots, not at the border level. I need to share a story with you. I was raised by my grandmother, my paternal grandmother. She was my father's mom, and uh, she was a Yoruba sage of Dahomey and Dise. She spoke five languages, and I think because of her, I became a polyglot because I saw the importance of being able to address someone in a language that is familiar to them. And I could see the immediate affinity that comes from hearing your own language in a strange place. Because of that, she didn't just teach me language, she taught me culture. And one of the things I took away, which I still use today, is the culture of respect for the earth and those 
with whom we inhabit this place. I remember as a child, she said to me that when she was young and people walked long distances between one place and the other, you could get hungry along the way. And if you did, it was all right to step into a farm or onto a fruit tree and feed yourself. When you were done eating, you put what was left of it by that tree. So if, you, if it was an orange tree, for example, you put the rind of the orange and the seeds at the foot of the tree to indicate to the owner that I was here and I honorably ate of the fruit of your ground. And this is the proof that I was here honorably. Now you don't take a basket and harvest this fruit and take it with you. You eat what you can where you're there and you pay respect. In some cultures, it is customary to leave a coin or something of value to you to say, thank you. This is what I took out of you. And this is what I have put back. We don't live in those times anymore, but in these modern days, there are still ways to show the intention of a person. About a year ago, I was in GVC and I happened to be staying at someone's apartment. And when my staff and I had finished using a glass, he tried to wash it and mistakenly broke one. Now, he was very worried about it. And what we did was I took a plastic bag and I put that glass in it and put it by the side so that the person, when they came home, could see that they were missing one glass. We didn't throw it in the trash can because you would wonder, where did my glass go? By seeing that, you could understand that there were soap studs around it. It was being washed and it was broken mistakenly. When we left, I got a note from the person who owns the house. And he said, you are a very good communicator. You didn't have to leave a note, but I understood what had happened. Thank you. So there are ways in which we can use culture to build bridges between where we are and where we want to be. By communicating correctly, we can alleviate people's fears. We can make more friends and we can share the concepts that are important to all of us as joint members of this planetary group called Earth. That is fantastic. It's such an inspiring story in a way also to show what the respect for art and also the way to respect and honor people. You know, this is the social and environmental responsibility in a nutshell. I want to ask you, I know you have an important moment also to celebrate the reason why you are in Kenya. Which is your advice for the next 10 years? The choices we will do now will affect our very own existence in this planet. So how we can save our planet? Uh, Samuele, how did you learn to breathe? That is naturally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In the same way, we, I believe that every human came here with a fundamental understanding of the dependencies between us and the environment we live in. We understand that the earth we walk on is also the earth that feeds us. Everything that you see, that you touch, that you have has come from this planet. The clothing we wear, we have produced from the materials that we met here. 
So it is our duty really to make sure that we protect this mother that has taken care of us, that continues to take care of our generation. And more importantly, that we teach one another and the next generation how to take care of it. So when you were growing up, someone taught you personal hygiene, wash your body, take care of your clothes, clean up your environment. In the same way, we need to take care of the earth, respect nature, love people. These are the only neighbors that you can think of that we have here until we find other planets to accommodate us. And by that, I mean all of us. We do need to live with one another harmoniously. So I believe that the next 10 years, really, we will create our own future. And it's all dependent on us. No one is going to come from another planet to help us maintain, sustain. We must learn to spread the gospel of conservation at every particular opportunity. Every time you have an opportunity, tell someone, reduce it, reuse it, recycle it, extend your hands to someone else, upcycle it. When we moved here, my family and I decided that everything as much as possible that we would use within our homes would be made by local hands. And that's what we've done. In, in fact, some of the stuff that you see here were made by our hands. We need to learn that culture of self-actualization through planetary preservation. Understanding that our planet is our life. We are because the earth is. Everything that is here breathes so that we breathe. And so we need to learn to teach that fundamentally. The same way we teach kids how to walk, we hold their hands and we walk with them. And when they fall, we pick them up. It's the same way we need to teach sustainability. We need to hold people's hands as individuals and as communities. And if they fall, we need to help them get back up. I also believe that government has a big role to play in this. Because we are organized along the lines of governance, it is important for the leadership to have the will to actually pursue this. I think that is wonderful because you really said there is the top down, so the government and the regulation, but there is the teaching. And who better than the women that we discuss can be the enabler of teaching? Without the women, as your grandmother taught you, the respect for art, and you can say that you are following her footstep. You are really making her proud with your big achievements. I think that is the biggest lesson we can have. Learning and have the women being our ambassador at all level, from the leadership level to the grassroots, to be the enablers for the turnaround that is needed for our planet. I have no word to thank you. I think is I will launch here the appeal to have you again to discuss even more your research and your insight because I think it's, it's a branch of research which is not mainstream but of incredible value both at the theoretical academic level but most important for the practitioner level because that is where we need it practical action and who to target in, indeed Samuel it's very true um, one of the things I like to say is that women are the single 
most underutilized free resource on our planet. If we could tap into the resources of our women folk, we would achieve a lot more as a people, indeed as a race. Even business-wise, we find that entrepreneurs who start out with as either as women or with partners who are women tend to have more longevity in business. They also tend to have some intuition that helps to grow their businesses. This is an area of research that we're looking at and considering, especially from the grassroots. How many of us have trade business or some commercial venture or the other in our ancestry? And how has this knowledge been passed on? In the old days of Africa, if your mother was a dressmaker, you were likely to be a dressmaker. You were likely to get those skills early in life and perfect them quickly. You were likely to inherit the specialties of those that went before you. In today's dispensation, we are fortunate. We can cross teach one another. And so with co-learning, um, a dressmaker's daughter can also learn how to be a professor and the daughter of the professor can also learn how to farm. And the farmer's daughter can also learn frugal innovation and become an engineer. So all of these co-dependencies become benefits for us. As women, we learn early to cooperate with one another, to exist in groups, to leverage the group dynamic. And we can use these as opportunities to teach even cross-generationally. So some of the things that we are learning are things that have been passed down to us, even from mothers who are not biologically ours, but who have been psychologically um, conduits for learning. Now, I, I'm fortunate in that my mother's a professor of finance. It means that at the back of everything that I do, uh, I have that lens to look through. And it means that there's a, a strong academic um, thread to the work that I have done. Uh, I've always thought I'm a fourth generation teacher. My mother, my grandmother, the one who raised me and the other one were both teachers. My great grandparents were teachers as well. And so you find that um, in my line, it is natural to impart knowledge. And I have benefited greatly from that impartation. Because by teaching, I have also been learning. It's a two-way street. And sitting in Nairobi has meant that I'm sitting in the very middle of this beautiful ecosystem that's generating amazing entrepreneurs, um, new wins, great infrastructure, big leaps in technology and digital penetration. What's not to love? It's a good place to be. It is the right place to be at the right time where energies are there. and being a teacher, you are taught us a lot today. This is an episode that really opened up a lot of insights and a lot of food for thought on how to really work and enable sustainability in a different way, a scalable way, and I think a more efficient way. That is the most important. Thank you so much, Hunke. I have no words to appreciate your time and your knowledge because you have been a real blessing for us and for the podcast and, and for the learning experience. 
Thank you. Eh, Funke? I am very grateful. Um, it's always a good opportunity um, to be able to speak with people, to share my views. My grandmother used to say that um, if you cooked food and you called a party and no one came, it meant that you had no honor. In the same way, if you speak words and no one listens, it means that there is no honor. But because I'm speaking these words and you listen and others gain, it means that the honor is there and I have been honored by it. So thank you again for the opportunity. I welcome um, any other chances to speak with you. You know, my doors are always open and I am enriched greatly by these partnerships. Thank you so much, Funke. No words to thank you. <laughs> Asante sana, Samuel. Asante sana. Are you better off after this wonderful episode? In the next one, we will go to the living labs of climate change.